we're in the same studio this week. Yes. This for the first time since the first episode. Yes. Episode one and episode twenty one. Right. Uh we're back. It's not last time we did this was Christmas Day. It's true. Oh my or is it Christmas Eve day? It was the holidays. It was. Uh, it yes. is October twenty first. Yes. We're in the mountains of Virginia. Yeah. Right now, and the leaves are turning. It's good Welcome to see to your face. Welcome to Garrison Keeler's. <laughs> right. uh, well, I was just, it's good to see your face. It's I love this. Too. Yeah. And you came down with your wonderful bride. Yeah. So we're super excited. <laughs> it's fun. It's it's a little uh, a little vacation for us. Yes. Like hang out. And then I immediately brought a recording studio to make it <laughs> work. And I was like, did you do your book report for our <laughs> right. very structured conversation? <laughs> we're sitting in two recliners with yes. handheld microphones with laptops ready to go. This is like two men who are really into sports betting. Like yes. I feel like this is the exact setup. Oh my for gosh. That. Yes. We're on like DraftKings. Yeah. Or What's something. a parlay? <laughs> right. Is that people do that in betting, right? Yeah. Do you have a parlay to make for this this episode? Yeah, under over it will be funny. Okay. Under under funny or over funny? <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll be uh I think I, do I take the under on that? <laughs> I'm going to be very serious this right. go around. It will under over it will be informative. Not to encourage a gambling addiction, but is there something <laughs> you think you could be really good at gambling on? Ooh. Like I I feel I mean it, this is now a limited thing, but when I watched every James Bond movie in order, I could tell you yes. exactly what was going to happen in the next James Bond movie. Oh, really? There's always like odds are he will go on six modes of transportation at the minimum, he will have a fight with furniture. Uh <laughs> there's like all these very specific things yeah like odds are the next mission possible he has to go rogue for some reason there's always that i feel like i could bet on movie tropes and plots that's interesting you know after our episode last week in your topic if i owned a pizza store i could start betting on world crises that's true (laughs) yeah you have everything you need (laughs) right uh all you need to know is how much pizza they're ordering and you're like "Uh uh-oh someone's getting impeached or invaded in the next 72 hours (laughs) right well, this is not a gambling podcast. This is Fascinators. It's a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to the weird and wonderful people, concepts, and stories that send us down the rabbit hole. Each week, myself, Evan Atkinson, and my dad, Ken Atkinson, tell one another about something that is currently fascinating us. So I like that we're in the same studio because when you said, like, and my dad, you pointed at me. <laughs> so I knew my line. Yeah. <laughs> Usually You're my have... dad, by the way. <laughs> right. Remember that. Right. I am your father. It is... Um, it is funny because there's such a delay. Obviously, we clap it up before everything. There's a delay that whenever I go, Evan Atkinson and my dad, I'm just sitting there in silence for maybe. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's a couple seconds, but it seems a long time. <laughs> and my dad, <laughs> Ken Atkinson, like it's just you have to sit on it. Dad, I have a question for you. Yes. What's the best concert you've ever been to? Oh, you know, I don't know if this counts, but the whole Bonnaroo experience. Yeah. As a single concert. Okay. I didn't know if that's a count, you know. A music experience. Yeah. That hands down. Yeah. That was brilliant. That was probably the best Bonnaroo lineup for me, for my money, was when we went after. 
It was my high school graduation present. Yeah. That was the best. What's the longest concert you've ever been to? Oh, boy. Good question. I went to a two and a half hour church service. Okay. <laughs> Bless up. <laughs> which, yes. Yeah. Which is a beautiful thing. It was supposed to be an hour. And you were there, too. When was this? We were in uh, Raleigh. We were trying new churches. And we went to a church. It was like a baptism Sunday. Oh. And they just kept going. And yeah. I kind of remember this. Yeah. I loved all the things. However, it's like we had to get out of there and do the Lord's work. And one more thing. <laughs> yeah. You're going to wait on IHOP until yeah. after this. You know, I've had good luck with concerts. Yeah. Like I've seen, I, I, I'm struggling to come up with a dud. My first concert that I went to was Bon Jovi opened for the Scorpions. That's my first concert, famously Weird Al Yankovic, (laughs) which is, that's a very good two truths and a lie that I'm able to break out because everyone's like, what? Why would he does live shows? He did. It was mostly polka. He, yeah, he was great. It was really good. I was there with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was, was really entertaining. Um, but like nothing stands out as a really long concert. Like no, no. okay, not for me. Uh, do you know anything about the world's longest concert? No, uh, it's going on right now. Okay, you could join in. Uh, it started in two thousand one at the former Saint Bernard's Church in Halberstadt, Germany. Uh, it's going to end in twenty six forty. It's going on for a duration of six hundred thirty nine years. Because it started 639 years after the invention of the organ. And so he's like, all right, we'll do another 639 with this thing. Um, but it's a pl- it's like a player piano. It's an automated organ that goes so slowly that visitors have to wait months for a chord change. Um, in 2008, for a one-note change, more than 1,000 people came to listen. Oh, my God. So it's just boop. <laughs> boop. Like forever. Um the shortest concert ever uh, was played by an artist that we've seen live. Any guesses? Oh, did they storm off the stage or something? Not, not in anger. Okay, but John Mayer? No, it was Jack White <gasps> uh, with the White Stripes. Uh, he set the record on July sixteenth in two thousand seven. They were doing a tour of Canada, and as they were going, they decided we're going to do this set of free pop up shows. And like test out new music yeah. and whatever. And then at the last show, the last pop-up show, they went on stage, played one note. It lasted 50 seconds. Uh, and Jack White said, we have now officially played in every province and territory in Canada. And then they left the stage. Uh, he called the Guinness Book to be in attendance, but they refused. And he has been in a feud with the Guinness Book of World Records oh my gosh. since. Yeah. Um, Give it to the man. And that's it. That's all I have to share. Oh, my <laughs> This is also one of our shortest podcasts. Yeah. Then. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Encore. Encore. <laughs> more, Encore. More. Uh, do you hear that? What? Encore. <laughs> the people want to hear more. They're calling you back. Uh, they want to hear about encores. And this is my main topic for tonight, today. It's like 2 p.m. <laughs> um, encores are like an expected thing now. Yes. I have not been to a concert without an encore. Right. And I've even seen openers that have done encores. Um, yeah. That it's just like a thing. It's on the set list. Um, and it's 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 not like a special treat. I've never like roused a band back on stage. It's just like they're back. Yes. Um, yeah. I recently saw Royal Blood um, oh, earlier good. this month. They were great. I timed it between 
the set ending and them coming back for an encore was 47 seconds. Oh my god. They left the, they left the stage I assume high-fived once and then yeah. came back on stage. <laughs> um but it's it's feels obligatory. Like That's you're right. Everybody does it. You're right. Um so I wanted to investigate how did we get here? Okay. Why are encores just a thing at all? Why are they everywhere? Um so encore is a French word. Um but oddly enough, if you're at a concert in France, Italy, or Ger- Germany, they would not yell encore. Oh. Uh, they would yell bis, which means twice. Um, so I okay. play it again, twice. Uh, encore is actually a corruption of the Italian word ancora, uh, which was used from the 1700s by audiences of the Italian opera in London. Oh. So initially, an encore was like, um, if you liked a particular song, in the middle of the set, you would just yell again, do it again. In the middle of the set? And the uh, artist would just go like, all right, we're doing, I'm going to do Blues Traveler again. Like, yeah. um, Blues Traveler is a band. It is. Oh, shoot. Yeah. What's their song? Never mind. I'm, I'm going to do Piano Man again. Like, it's just, they repeat that song. Yeah. And it started to become such a thing that, some of Mozart's early performances got encored enough that the length of each performance almost doubled. So he was doing every song twice, yeah, essentially. Um, which that is bizarre. I feel and in the in the middle of a set too. Yeah, especially like classical music where there's typically no lyrics. Yeah, like you're playing your heart out. You know, you're you're you know just wailing on that violin. Yeah. And someone's yelling out again, again, again. again. I. I, well, I wouldn't know when it ends, to be honest. I've gone to a couple classical music. I went to, like, the, not to brag, New York Philharmonic. Hey. Uh, and I had no idea. I was looking in the program being like, have they played the the planets owed to Mars yet? Right. Is that what this is? This doesn't make me think of space. Yeah. Uh, it was brutal. Well, because I, I was looking at the thing because one of the composers was a 13-year-old. And I was like, what? when's the kid getting on stage? <laughs> send like, out I, the child. Send out the child. I had to know. <laughs> Uh, and I was way off. Like I was probably three songs early and then I checked again and I was three songs late. Uh, and someone was like, yeah, you missed the kid. You were in the bathroom. And I was like, what? Oh, no. Damn it. Um, he had to take a nap. Yeah. He had to come out early. So, so Mozart, I guess the Elvis of his day, everyone was pretty rowdy for Mozart. Yeah. Uh, and Emperor Joseph II of Austria issued an order to limit encores. A week after Mozart started like playing his residency, the emperor was like, "No, stop! This is way too much. I just want to hear the song. I want to hear the next song." Yeah, good on him. Uh, which I agree. But then we get to modern concerts. Uh, the encore is often pre-planned, usually even put on set lists. Um, an artist will typically save one of their most popular songs. Yes, for the encore. Um, it's kind of like the after credit scene in a movie. Like you, if I watch a Marvel movie, I'm if someone leaves right as the credits roll, I'm like, Shh, rookie, idiot, come on. I was at a concert with someone recently, and they were like, they didn't play, they didn't play their song. Yeah, that's so crazy. Well, Macklemore didn't play Thrift Shop yet. <laughs> You're right. What do you mean? <laughs> right. Why would he? Why would he skip? He must hate playing that song. And I was like, I bet you. Yeah. You wait one minute, he yeah. will be back out here in a fur coat. Um. <laughs> But they usually do that sometimes. Lou Vega didn't play Mambo number five. He only did Mambo's one through four. <laughs> right. um, I don't know. But like it kind of ruins a concert for me a little bit. 
Yeah, Sometimes, I can see that. I see that. Because I, I was at um, a Maggie Rogers show recently, um, and she's cool because she went on social media before she started her tour and asked her fans, like, encores seem kind of cheesy. Really? Like, and they're forced. Like, if we do an encore, we would set it up in advance. Do you want me to just not do an encore? Do you want me to do an encore? What should it look like? Like, yeah. I want to just be genuine. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, do it. Um, yeah. So she did an encore, but the whole time... I was watching the show. I was like, oh, she played that song. Okay. So she's saving this for the encore. Oh, she just played that. Okay. So she's saving. And I was like, yes. I was not present. I was just trying to like strategize my way. Interesting. Yeah. Through it. And I kept turning to Claire and I was like, all right, this is going to be a two song encore. Well, maybe three. And it didn't need to. I could have just enjoyed it. Right. No, that's so true. Well, so Taylor Swift, the era tour yes eras eras you're oh gonna God. get I'm it getting so close you're I'm so, close. so close i think she does like two surprise songs but i don't know if they're encores you know it might be during yeah. her normal set but i don't know she, either i've heard that though. she changes yeah two of her songs and i think it's well i don't know if it's participation like ahead of time like it's yeah. a poll and you send in kind of thing but i i thought that's kind of cool yeah because there are, there are websites i know that list the set list yeah of artists. Um, or you steal it off the stage after the show. You got to run up and grab it. It's oh. taped down. Um, <laughs> That's how I got my first two guitars. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've usually been seeing like two to three encore, song encores. Um, and usually if it's three song encore, it's a cover and then they're two biggest songs. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I like when bands do covers. I love a cover. So an artist that famously never played encores, do you know? The Beatles? Uh well maybe uh, oh I don't know I don't oh I'm no I'm just guessing uh Elvis okay Elvis uh especially uh when he was not the headlining artist the famous phrase uh was uh, announced Elvis has left yes. the building um that was always the thing and even in his Vegas res- re- residency he would definitively close the show and just send people away um because then you want more like you don't don't always leave the audience wanting more right. was the right. philosophy. Okay. Um, on the, the other, king. that's why he's the king. That's why he's the king. On the other end of the spectrum, the late Jimmy Buffett does two encores. Uh, one is like a typically planned encore. He does like the band intro. I was like, "This is Tommy on the drums," and okay. this blah blah blah. And then the second is just him alone with an acoustic guitar. Oh, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, it became such a thing. He put out an album of just encores in yeah. 2010 okay. with all the all the stuff that he did on stage. Um, but the main culprit for expecting encores uh, <laughs> is Bruce Springsteen. Oh. He was the first artist to always do an encore, really? um, usually like three hours into a show. Apparently, Bruce Springsteen's shows like four hours right, long. Right, that's what I understand. Um, I've never seen, but I've got a buddy that has been like 52, over 50 times to damn. Bruce Springsteen. He's like, <sighs> he, like Careful, he's, he's royalty. Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Springsteen fans, though, feel a little bit like uh, Grateful Dead people that work at a factory. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's people who it's like fish heads or deadheads yeah. who yeah. like are are more are, work a union job. Like he's saying what I always thought. Oh, sure, I'm saving up my money to see the boss. Right. Uh, when well, I love how politicians will take his song "Born in the USA," which is a USA protest song. Yeah. And they'll, you know, they think it's like, this is about America. Yeah. It's like Star Spangled Banner. uh, How every Vietnam War movie plays Fortunate Son is like a (laughs) badass thing. Like, we're flying in. And it's like, that's not what this is about. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Good. So artists who have given massive encores, or a lot of encores before, The Cure gave five uh, encores in one night. Uh, someone you mentioned, Prince, has given seven yeah, I can encores see that. Um, in a night. Kanye and Jay-Z uh, did an encore. They played uh, their famous song, uh, expletive in paris uh <laughs> at their paris show 12 times in a row oh um, my as their encore travis scott broke that record by playing his song goosebumps 14 times in a row um but usually the main kind of reason i found for encores being this pre-planned it's not a surprise anymore is yeah. the amount of digital stage effects oh. that most artists have like yeah. if you have to have a video wall up behind you all this stuff you kind of have you have to plan for it you have to have the visuals ready right. you can't just be like oh, i'm gonna go back out on stage and do this thing like yeah. you have to line up the pyrotechnics or the dancers or right you know everything um that makes sense so and, this and artists rely on that quite a bit oh anymore. yeah yeah um this is where it gets into a little bit of hearsay, but I have some evidence. All right. so, I mean, I'm here to hear it. I was talking to one of my former coworkers about um, encores. He's a big like music science guy, and the idea of um, you have to have an encore or a final song of a show that's a little more down tempo. You can't close with your biggest song because you could be found liable for inciting a riot. Oh my god! If it gets crazy, an example of that is Woodstock 99. Yeah. Corn uh, uh, played. Everyone was very excited. With to see a K. The, yeah, to see the band Corn, <laughs> Iowa's Finest. Um, and they were immediately followed by Bush. Uh, and everyone was like throwing stuff at Gavin Rossdale. And yeah. then um, the next day, Limp Biscuit played. Yeah. And then went off stage and all hell broke loose. And people were like, lighting stuff on fire. Oh and Flipping cars. Um. And it's it's bonkers. So there is a safety purpose, I guess, sure. potentially to the yeah. encore of wind them down, like that Lake Street dive set. Yeah, I mean they were playing upright bass, so I wasn't ready to like throw hands in the mosh pit, but they still came together and it was a slow thing. And I was like, I don't need to hear anymore. I, yeah, you know that was nice. But that's the history of the encore. Oh my gosh, that's uh, amazing. That's so fascinating. And long and short concerts. Yeah, they are. We've normalized the encore. Yes. And um, I wouldn't mind taking a step back. Would you not want an encore, or would you want like a if if there's an encore, it's a genuine one? No, well, I, we're so trained, people would clap and yell for it the whole time. Yeah, and the audience would be just standing there. I mean, I guess the theater can turn on the lights or yeah. something to tell us to go home. But I would like it planned so when it's done, it's done. Yeah, right. I get that. It's just become a weird kind of fictitious thing that we all do yeah because you know they're coming back the, right. the house lights are down yeah they didn't play thrift shop like <laughs> you expect something else it's just it's bizarre so that's what fascinated me oh my gosh that's awesome that's what cool. what have you cooked up i've got a few tales to tell <laughs> okay <laughs> so here's my opening tale okay as a child this person rescued and raised a baby alligator in his family's bathtub it sounds like a DreamWorks movie. <laughs> he dropped out of high school and went to work for his father as a carpenter, where he lost. Oh, is this Jesus? Part of his index finger. Yeah, he found a lot of uh, alligators in Bethlehem. <laughs> right. Uh, Nile crocodile, not far away. Well, that's true. Let my people go. So he dropped out of high school, went to work for his father as a carpenter, lost part of his index finger. Oh, At eighteen, 
He enlisted into the Air Force, rising to the rank of Master Sergeant before retiring after 20 years. Okay. And from all accounts, he was good at his job in the Air Force. And at one point, he was a drill sergeant, and he was, quote, mean and tough. You're figuring out your index finger? Which finger's the index finger? <laughs> your pointer. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, and a quote from this individual, I was the guy who makes you scrub the latrine with to- uh, toothbrush, the guy who makes you, m- makes you make your bed, the guy who screams at you for being late to work. Oh. This alligator-raising high school dropout yeah. who was mean and tough during his 20-year military career is, of course... <gasps> Bob Ross. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Bobby. So Bob took art classes at the base USO offices yeah. and kind of fell in love with art. And he started selling his paintings around the base for like $25. Oh. And so by 1981, so 20 years into his career, he started making more from his paintings than from the Air Force. Oh, wow. And so he retired. And then in 1983, he began painting on television. It was filmed in Virginia, but it aired for a PBS station in Muncie, Indiana. Like super local. It wasn't the national PBS. It was Muncie, Indiana. Just Muncie, Indiana? Yes. How many people are watching? Maybe they have like a really tuned in audience in Muncie. Like all you got to do is watch public access programming there. Yeah. So he, he donated his first batch of paintings to PBS to raise money for the station. Sweet. So his very first... Painting, so season one, episode one, it was called A Walk in the Woods. It was sold for less than $100, estimated, because wow. all of his paintings that were sold then went for 100 but they don't actually have the tape still. Okay. So under $100. The reason I, in part, I bring this up, last month, A Walk in the Woods went on sale for $9.85 million. Whoa. <laughs> so. Damn. By the way, he despised his afro. And he wanted to get rid of it. Did he really? Early. Yes. Why? Why? Where did it? Why? Did it was a he perm. It? it was a perm. Okay. And it was the style in the eighties for him. It in just Muncie. became such it was a big in Muncie. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and he wanted to change it, but he was so iconic. Yeah. yeah. A couple of years in, and so like his team and PBS is like, dude, that's your identity. Yeah. You can't change it. So here's how I got down this rabbit hole. Okay. So last week I mentioned uh, Bram Stoker. Yeah. So 1897. Also had a perm. <laughs> right, famously. Yeah. Hated his perm. Uh, wrote Dracula, mm-hmm. 1897. So I was thinking, what else was shaking in the arts world in the late 1800s? <laughs> of course. And I quickly zeroed in on painters. And so thus, you must, if you're talking about painters, you've got to talk about the American treasure, Bob Ross. Yes. Yes. So, but these are 1874 to like... 1890. Okay. So all in Paris, France. Okay. Vincent van Gogh. I've heard. Yes. So top 25, top 10, some lists I went through, some lists have it as the number one painter, he or da Vinci or Michelangelo, Mm. but they typically vie for the top three. Okay. So get this, a portrait of Dr. Paul Gachet sold in 1990 for $83 million. Damn. Labor in a Field, 2017, sold for $81 million. Self-Portrait Without a Beard, 1998, for $72 million. What's he doing with all this money? <laughs> he must be so excited. <laughs> Make sure you talk to the correct side of him yeah. so he can hear you. Oh. Wooden Cabins Among the Olive Trees in Cypresses, 19, or 2021, for $71 million. And then his 
last in the top five of his is The Avenues of Les Alichamps, $66 million in 2015. Dang. So big time. However, I want to spotlight The Red Vineyard. Okay. Which is one of his paintings that now hangs in a museum and it's not for sale. Okay. The Red Vineyard may be Van Gogh's most meaningful painting. It is the only painting he sold while he was alive. Oh. Yeah. So wow. he sold it for 400 francs at a Brussels exhibition in 1890, which is about $3,000 today. That's pretty good. And then four months later, he shot himself in Damn. the chest. Um, so Van Gogh was arguably one of history's best painters, and he sold one painting while alive. I don't have a clean ending for this tale. Okay. So I'm going on to the next one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, Someone asked him, lend me your ear. And he said, right. I got you. Okay. Well, apparently he was in an argument with um, this is brother Paul Gagan. Oh. So they had um, like a beef. A little beef. Okay. Um, and Paul Gagan's the guy who went to Polynesia. He, he did a lot of beach. Yes. And yeah, that's how I remember him. So how's this for a lineup? Monet, Pissarro, Cezanne, Dega, Morissette, and Renoir. So these fellas have four things in common. Okay. We're in 1874. Okay. So the four things are... Spanish fever. They were all... <laughs> I didn't go that deep. Ugh. Curses. They were all friends. Okay. So they all knew each other. They were all impressionists, okay. which was a new art form at that time. The critics panned all of their work. And the public wasn't buying anything. They couldn't sell anything. Damn. So those four guys. So what they did. So at the time, I should say, there was essentially one seminal art show in Paris. And it happened once a year. And it was the Salon de Paris. Okay. So it's one art show a year, essentially. It was established in 1667. It was the scene for all of the art scenes. I mean, it was the place. And so our boys couldn't get a sniff of an invite. Oh. They were just outside looking in. And so they got together and hatched a plan. They're like, we can have our own art show. Oh. So let's organize one and set it up and we'll sponsor it. Because they couldn't get any sponsors yeah. to do it. So they all chipped in money. And our intrepid group of starving artists scraped together enough. Admission was one franc. Okay. Which is like 10, 10 bucks, 11 bucks. And 3,500 people attended. Wow. Yeah. It was a hit. That's big. Yeah. Back then. And the exhibition was a complete flop. Okay. Most of the people solely bought their ticket to berate the artists. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. They would mock them and berate them. And like the critics were worse. This is just the general public yeah. which is mocking them. Oh, my God. And so, in fact, they lost so much money. I mean, they didn't really sell anything. Yeah. And they counted on selling something. So they had to pass the hat again to chip in, like to pay for cleanup. And they didn't have enough to pay the venue. Oh, no. So they're all chipping in again. And so can you imagine Monet, again, Monet, Pissarro, Cezanne, Dega, Morissette, and Rene, or Renoir, excuse me. They couldn't give away their uh, paintings at that time. That's, I mean, that's bananas and also you gotta have so little going on <laughs> to buy tickets to roast art at an art show right. like any i mean now anything if someone puts like a gallery plaque next to it i'm like probably yeah right. i bet there's that canvas is just blue yeah all right that's art i'm sure that's the the banana taped to a uh 
canvas like sure i guess and these are like technically perfect amazing paintings yeah well i think you know what i think it's that it's the new kids coming on Mm. and so the establishment is like we must hold our standards yeah you know if we let these people in what next yeah Andy Warhol. I mean, they're like their paintings aren't that crazy either. Like, I mean, they're beautiful, but they're not right. that shocking or that different. Yeah, right. They're, um, yeah, what they're painting is. I mean, most of them were landscapes. Yeah. I mean, Monet's like flowers in a garden. <laughs> Maybe people were like they they bought tickets to go see a bunch of impressionists, and they're like, "Are you gonna do George Bush? <laughs> What's your how's your walking sound? Do that." It's yeah. just paintings. This yeah. sucks. So that's that story. I don't have a clean ending. Okay. Tail. I just wanted to <laughs> All share. All right. <laughs> All right. Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec. Okay. Same type period, 1889. So if you've ever been to like an American French restaurant or maybe someone's sorority room. Okay. You might have seen like a poster of the Moulin Rouge. You see them in French restaurants. Okay. All the time. Yeah, like yeah. American yeah. French restaurants yeah. all the time. So when the Moulin Rouge, which is a cabaret, opened in 18, 1889, Toulouse Lautrec was commissioned to produce a series of posters. Mm. And so a little backstory. At the age of 13, he broke his leg. Okay. His right leg. At the age of 14, he broke his left leg. Oh, no. So <laughs> wasn't Lautrecing very much. As you probably guessed, his broken legs didn't heal properly because in a story as old as time, his parents were first cousins. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> there is mom and dad. Parents were sisters. Oh. Yeah. So, he's, yeah. First cousins. His 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 uh, his joints were too loose. <laughs> Or he could not electric. Yes. Yeah. So psychodiasotosis, also known as Toulouse Lautrec disease. No way. Really? <laughs> yes, oh, yes. that sucks. Oh. So it caused um, Henri's legs to stop growing. So he had like a male adult torso and child's legs. Oh, no. It's very unfortunate for him. But yes. The mental image is pretty crazy. Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. So in 2005, Chrissy's auction house, um, one of his early paintings called "A Long," uh, or excuse me, "A Young Laundress," okay. sold for 22.4 million dollars. Dang! So, on this tale, I choose not to have an ending. Okay. To that story. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm just sharing three. All right. Fun facts. So all that to say, late 1800s Paris was bonkers. Yeah. Damn. And like pretty hardcore i feel like for these poor painters yes oh, oh my, my gosh god. so that's what fascinated me. i started going down like oh you know why because bram stoker when i was looking at him for dracula even though he was making a lot of scratch from dracula he still worked like every day in the in the not the movie theater but the theater mm. there he would be like the greeter oh. at a theater so that's fun do you imagine Stephen king is, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's you're in uh, row A, aisle one. Uh, here's here's a copy of my book. It's about a vampire. Um, <laughs> Tell your friends. Look under your seat. Look under your seat. There's a you get a book. You there's get a, a book. crusty old book I wrote. Check it out. 
It's about a guy who has a dinner party with a creepy old guy, and it turns out he's a monster. That's bananas. So those are the three things that got me going, and then I had to, of course, bring in Bob Ross in some ways. Yes. Painters be crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm telling you, this is the same town within like 15 years. I mean, they all knew each other. Yeah. So within like 15 years (laughs) apart... They were just, I mean, that was a good time to be in, well, bad time to be them, I guess, but like a pretty good time to be in Paris, I think. Isn't that the the Belle Epoque? Like the... Oh, is that... Yeah, I've heard that... The height of... Maybe it was the 1910s. It was like the Fitzgeralds and stuff. Yeah, that was, yeah, like the 20s, like when we had the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. Like Paris was big time. After the First World War. Yeah. uh, Yeah, they had the jazz singers, the American jazz singers come over and the art scene. Like that's one of those times that... Like, if, you know, if you had to go back in history, yeah, kind of thing, like it'd be fun for me historically to go back and see, you know, Hannibal yeah. on an elephant or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, you get dysentery. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I could only go back in time if there's guaranteed indoor plumbing. <laughs> right. So that's, that's why I kind of settled on like the 1920s Paris. Yeah. Like that would be, I think, pretty amazing. It's not. Have you seen the movie Midnight in Paris? That's the plot. No. It's a writer being like, I w- it's Owen Wilson. I wish I could just go back in time and, and hang out with Hemingway and the Fitzgeralds. And he's in Paris. And then like he goes out for a walk at midnight and goes back in time. Uh, oh, my gosh. I remember the ads for that now that you say that. Uh, and he's the moral of the story is he's like, it's so much better back in time. And <laughs> then he meets like a woman who's like, but it was way better in the 1860s. Don't you want to go back? And so like everybody just wants to go back. It's oh. no matter what time you go yeah, okay. to, everybody's nostalgic for something else. Right, right. Well, hey, Dad, I dare say that's fascinating. Well, back at you. <laughs> I have no encore. I didn't even have endings. No, it's great. <laughs> uh, What's it? That's our close. You talked about encores. I talked about not having an ending. There you go. It's uh, it's rhyme without reason. Sure. Uh, and that's, that's the whole point of the show. We'll... Thank you for another fascinating fascinator. Thank you. It's so good to in be person. in person. So awesome. Touch fingers. I got you. Nice. Uh, if you, the listener, have an idea of something that you think that we should talk about on Fascinators, drop us a line, fascinatorspod at gmail.com, or follow us on Instagram, fascinatorspod on Instagram. Uh, but that's all we have for this episode. Dad, what do we always say? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slower yet to become angry. So true. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>